The Naive Theater of the Air presents Rewired by Matthew Broyles. Episode 19, The Rise of Ahania. When the old world came down, Washington was not the first sanctuary for Dr. Gabriella Neidhart. The car that delivered her from her old Austin apartment before the fall was not of government issue. Instead, it bore the dotted triangular seal of Rax Corp the company which had stepped in to sponsor the lab's rewiring research when the university became skittish of the darkening PR emanating from its critics. Her state of mind at the time could not be described as particularly stable. The lab was an alternate universe where reality was fluid. Experiments ran the gamut from the absurd to the terrifying depending on which of the team members one asked. In setting out to reroute consciousness and throw off the mind sent from the wire, the path wound through territory seldom trodden on its own. The safari of explorers blundered into minefields vast and deep. Spectres from the hidden places followed them on their passage, some more detectable than others. A few stayed hidden. She saw one now, in the window reflection of the Rax Corp limousine, where her eyes met those of the woman in the mirror. Twenty-eight years ago, Gabriella did not fully understand what was happening inside her mind. None of them did. The world around her was the same, but she saw it differently. The discipline with which she had always conducted her life slowly and steadily gave way to an impulsiveness which she both feared and thrilled to discover. She became reckless, hasty, and brash. Consequences mounted but were dismissed as incidental. To what end, she wasn't sure. But repercussions paled in comparison to the excitement of the hunt. Over time, Gabriella grew to understand that the woman had always been there, nestled in the folds of her subconscious. Within every individual lay the full continuum of human emotion, accessible by the conscious mind through the right set of circumstances. The particular bandwidth which had unintentionally been amplified within her during the course of the experiments was not easily held back. And at least at the beginning, Wayland Lilly was very interested in its blooming, so long as he bathed in its spotlight, which for a while he did. It took another ghost to discover the true nature of the first. She had summoned it herself, knowing not what she did as she rerouted the plumbing of James Barrett's consciousness. Again, his shadow self was an aspect already present inside him, but following the rewiring procedure, it no longer felt the need for restraint. He saw in her not only a competitor, but a prize, and he knew that she saw him likewise. Control controlled by its need to control. The quest for alpha status was afoot. Their game was brutal and terrorized all with whom they came into contact. Other less prestigious prizes were won and discarded, proving points and settling scores. Neither could be shamed by their actions, such was the nature of the contest. There could be only one winner. James used all means at his disposal to draw her into his web, alienating Waylon and nearly everyone else in the process. But she was not to be outdone. Feints, sleight of emotional hand, and roundabout insinuation kept her nemesis on the hook, until no one in the lab could be sure whose loyalties lay where. Wayland figured it out before she did. 
The crosshairs in her eyes burned hot enough to blind him for a time. It was a blissful blindness, eased by physical desires and self-delusion. But ultimately, the heat became too intense, too preternatural for him to believe that it existed in the normal human sphere of emotion. He had found the monster and blamed himself for unleashing it. Disgusted with his hubris, he projected his revulsion outwards, and her indignance at his moral cowardice blazed hotly in response. James almost got her then. Although had they coupled, it would not have been clear who was using whom. But by then, the overworld had begun to probe noisily into the bubble-shaped nether of the lab. It was then that her window of opportunity appeared in the form of a Raxcorp job offer. She flung herself through like a flaming phoenix. Freshly stung by Wayland's rejection, the wider world into which she escaped seemed to her a hunting ground, rife with prey. She wasted no time in blazing a trail towards the top of Raxcorp, using all means at her disposal. Within a year, she sat at the CEO's right hand in Boston, and had all but trapped him in her own grip. But in her wake on the way up, she left a trail of human wreckage that inexorably became a lynch mob. Massing all the blackmail they could gather, they came for her at last, knives sharpened. Once again, she was cast out of the garden. The flight from Austin, seen from the top floor suite at Raxcorp, had lost some of its sting. But the fall from the heights of the corp hit hard. Word spread fast of her treachery, and no one in the tight-knit corp world would hire her. She remembered well the first night she had caught a glimpse of the woman in the mirror. Wayland's theories on her personality change had seemed specious to her. She had thus far rejected them, but following her precipitous descent to the pavement, raging privately to Grandpa Andreas's picture, she caught sight of herself and froze. The woman disappeared almost instantly. She willed the strangeling to return, but it would not. It occurred to her then that she had no friends. Not anymore. No one to call and share her fears with. She had changed. She had only the vaguest inkling of the cause. Alarmed, she sought out a psychiatrist in Boston. Dr. Elaine Moskowitz was rewired herself and happened to be conducting a private, corp-funded study on the side effects of the rewiring process. To have an original Austin team member as a subject was an opportunity too great to pass up, so long as she kept Gabriella anonymous. Wounded and frightened by the shadow in her mind, Gabriella gave herself to the project, renting a nearby apartment and letting Moskowitz probe whatever she might need to in order to track down answers. But the woman did not accept the examination regimen for long. After only a month, Dr. Moskowitz knocked on her door one morning and found the apartment vacant. The next ten years were a fog of shifting scenery and blurry faces. She had money enough now to go wherever she wished, and she did, but never for long. She laid low and let herself become part of the landscape. In London, Berlin, Beijing, Hong Kong, Dubai, everywhere she went, she was the mysterious lady at the local coffee shop who came and went before anyone got a chance to find out who she was or where she had come from. Her new self was locked down deep inside. It could not be trusted to guide her safely through the world. It had already betrayed her twice. The act of will required to suppress the woman's demands was prodigious. From time to time she lost the battle, and a befuddled man in some hotel room woke to find his new obsession lost and gone forever. She drifted through the world that way until one day, at a New York deli, she was approached by an attractive, youngish man in a perfectly tailored suit. It took mere moments for her to deduce that he knew who she was, that he wasn't after her body. At least not back then. 
Taylor's wife was still alive, and her cancer hadn't yet appeared. His offer of a job with the NSA was the first solicitation of her skills and intelligence she had received in a decade. It gave her focus enough to push down the woman's greed and concentrate on the mission at hand. A quest to take down the strongholds of her old rivals. That was something worth waiting for. Glancing out of the limo window now, Gabriella could not recall what type of company Raxcorp had started out as. It hardly mattered. These days, corps either had their fingers in all pies or none. Luckily for her, one of the casualties of her rise at the organization still held a dimly lit torch. Edwin Powers Jr., a rather athletic former basketball player whose lowly position 28 years prior was a mere stepping stone, both for her and for him. Now, the senior vice president for defense affairs at Raxcorp, Powers sat hugely and quietly next to her, a trace of amusement on his face. He was no fool. He knew she was using him. But he possessed fond memories of their brief entanglement years before, and had always found her fascinating. He'd married a much less volatile woman not long after Gabriella's departure from his life, but part of him still missed dancing around the dangerous flame, daring it to incinerate him. Gabriella felt his gaze and turned to give him a knowing look. Ever miss Boston? A little cold for my taste. Washington seems to suit us both a little better. The top of his head shined now, where once there was a tuft of thick black hair. He was still in very good shape, though, she noticed, and filed a note for future reference. It can, depending on which way the wind is blowing. That's rich, considering the source. Well, you know me. I am a leaf on the wind. I suppose I shouldn't ask if I'm going to regret this. <laughs> a meeting with President Almerito and his favorite employee? What could go wrong? <laughs> well... At least he can't fire me. <laughs> that much was true. The authority of the corpse outweighed public office. If an emissary from a multinational behemoth like Raxcorp came calling, the president had little choice but to accept him. Secretary Wendell had likely already given the chief executive his version of events. Now Almerito would hear her counterarguments, whether he liked it or not. Secret Service waved them through. Scanners these days could spot a penknife in a briefcase from a block away. The company logo, though, was their fast-track ticket inside. It had been quite some time since she had last walked through those doors. The prior administration was completely on board with her approach to the diaspora, and she had visited often. However, President Abbott was a mess in almost every other respect, and the corpse had only allowed him to last one term before subtly making the public tire of him. Arturo Almerido was the knee-jerk reaction, and the tightness of his ship could be felt the moment she stepped over the threshold. The White House was much quieter than she remembered from years before. Bustling was seen, but barely heard. She set her posture to maximum formality. They didn't have to wait long. Within moments of their arrival, the receptionist gestured to Powers and opened the Oval Office door. At the end of the room, the President rose genially, meeting Powers' eyes, but not hers. Mr. Powers, pleasure as always. Mr. President, saw the boardroom poll numbers. Gotta like them apples. We try. At last, he deigned to turn his eyes towards Gabriella. Dr. Neidhart, an unexpected treat. A pleasure, Mr. President. I've been looking forward to it. Maintaining his grin with effort, Almerido gestured towards the seats in front of his desk. Had it been Powers alone, they would likely have sat more casually at the couches. But the frost in the air was stiff as a board. The task of warming it up would be prodigious. And despite her instincts, she had to let him lead. Surprisingly, it was Powers who spoke up first. We have new intel from Beijing. Really? Did Shu finally crack? This time it was Gabriella's turn to keep up appearances. She had no idea what they were talking about. 
and she saw from the ghost of a smile on Power's lips that he was quite aware of that fact. Our Chinese bureau has located the server, using the coordinates Dr. Xu eventually gave us after his arrest. It contains all of the HPL broadcasts, so far as we know, dating back to their advent at the dawn of the diaspora. Amazing. A full record. All that research. He turned to face Gabriella. Imagine if we had had it sooner. You're welcome. I look forward to unleashing even more of it onto the net. The net, yes. It's all they've got left now, isn't it? Making it that much more powerful for us. Now we can monitor every aspect of their activities, from the elite core down to the roar of the revolutionaries. Watch and wait. A recurring theme down at the NSA. Until recently, of course. He had obviously spoken to Wendell, as she knew he would. The tale was no doubt twisted to maximum absurdity by the defense secretary. So she proceeded with simplicity. As the report advisor Hockaday sent you this morning shows, instability in the diaspora is at a pitch we have not seen since its inception. The public no longer trusts their leaders, and any HPL data we throw onto the net will fuel the fire. But flame cannot spread without oxygen. If we cut that off, the breakaway territories will unite behind the only sources of information they have access to, that being their leadership. Or they will collapse into paranoid anarchy, ripe for the taking. But how will we know? What will our gauge be? Troop movements? We have precious few surviving spies in high places. That interests me. Why do you think that they are so good at ferreting out our people while we have only identified a handful of their operatives among us? Simple math. We are a much larger haystack in which to find needles. There was a moment of silence as the unspoken suspicion was allowed to waft into the room. She knew, had always known, that Almarido and his people believed her to be in cahoots with her old colleagues. Nothing short of a territorial repossession would wash the mistrust from their eyes. And yet they would not say it outright, because they knew for a fact that one day they would need her. Sooner than later, if her predictions were correct. Perhaps, she thought, that path could be fast-tracked. At this moment, there is a petition by Ahanya on the net that has garnered over 500,000 signatures and growing. That's a lot of eyeballs in a small community. Give me the HPL files from Shu's server and I will add the most damaging portions of them to the post. In addition, I will analyze the data and find exploits wherever they may lie. If Dr. Shu is able to induce massive foreign hallucinations among seers, perhaps we can too. Powers shot an impressed look towards Almarito. Weaponizing the seer population. That would stir the pot. Gabriella saw the conviction bleed from the president's face. He couldn't logically argue against the plan. Certainly not in front of Raxcorp's head of defense affairs, who had just tacitly endorsed it and was responsible for Shu's capture. It's worth a try. Mr. Powers, I'll leave it in your capable hands. Thank you, Mr. President. I need a quick word with my advisor. Of course. Powers raised a slightly amused eyebrow at Gabriella and strode out of the room, a little jauntily for her taste. As the door closed smoothly at the end of that weighty office, the president's expression hardened instantly. Gabriella locked her hands behind her back and stepped forward, with no hint of fear. Almerido appraised her. Are you familiar with the story of General Douglas MacArthur? Interesting that you should ask that. I am, actually. I spent some time in Seoul a few years back. They have long memories there. Then you know the price for insubordination. A presidential approval rating of about 22%, as I recall, and a lost re-election bid. Make no mistake, any further bloodshed will be on your hands, and the press will know about it, as will your last few friends at Raxcorp. I appreciate your honesty, Mr. President. And in return, I have something for you. Go on. 
As Secretary Wendell has no doubt informed you, Agent John M. Shadler is now in Republic territory. A known trafficker of rewired human cargo, yes, and a drug dealer to boot. Where do you find such specimens? Right now he can be found at Dr. Wayland Lilly's lab. Here are the coordinates. You're telling me you know where the lab is? We've had a rough idea for a while that it was in the Abilene territory. Shadler's signal confirms our suspicions. And interestingly, satellite history reveals the past several hours have shown a marked buildup of Republic Army activity surrounding the compound. Given that line forces remain relatively static, it's safe to assume that Colonel Haley is less concerned with external threats than with the intentions of his own citizens. Involuntarily, the president moved back a step. What is it that you intend to do? Win your next election for you. Thank you for your time, Mr. President. We'll speak again soon. Wordlessly, she let herself be carried across the room by the woman's momentum. It was so easy when she let her lead. As the Oval Office door closed behind her, she knew it would be different this time. She let the woman's gaze travel openly over Power's trim body as he stood watching her from the far side of the hallway. He drew in a breath, fixing a calm grin. Everything ship-shape in the halls of government? Like a clockwork orange. Care for some breakfast? Power stepped back appreciably and smiled with a bit of effort, holding his hands up as she approached. Easy, Tiger. You forget. I know how this goes. <laughs> I remember enough. Gabriella reined the woman in slightly, giving him space. She could do that now. Anyway, breakfast is just breakfast. Cleo's, right around the corner. Breakfast with you is never just breakfast. Come on. I have a few people on the hill to see while I'm in the area. My driver can drop you off while I go about my rounds. She followed him down the hall silently as the war raged inside her head. Control. It was her highest aim in life. But it pushed in two directions, outward and inward. To effectively control events outside her body, she first had to control the tempest within. Her mind stayed fixed on that idea as the pair of them exited the White House and stepped into the long black racks corp limo. After letting a few polite moments pass, she spoke, this time tentatively. Edwin, you should know. I am sorry. She could not look at him, for fear of the woman peering out through her eyes. The big man nodded, a little surprised. They had barely spoken in the intervening decades, and never candidly. I appreciate you saying that. I'll admit, it was hard to move on, after. But I did. And I respect that. I respect you. I just want to make sure that you know that. Gabriella turned her head to the window. The woman looked back through the reflection and saw a faint hope lingering in the eyes of the man beside her. It didn't matter what he said, the woman told her. You know what you need to know about him. When the driver stopped in front of the Capitol, Gabriella took Power's hand gingerly. See you around. You kill me, Gabriella. Every time. Powers stepped out, shutting the car door and leaving his scent floating in the close air with her. As the vehicle pulled away, she felt him look back. The woman turned her head to make sure. She was not disappointed. He followed the faint clattering down the dim hallway. It seemed as if he had been passing the same pictures on the wall for a very long time. Yet none of them were clear enough for him to make out fully. The noise came again, 
unclear, always just out of range. He knew it was in the house. Someone was there. Someone who was not him. him. been listening to the naive theater of the air performance of Rewired, featuring Petra Wright as Dr. Gabriella Neidhart, Theron Coleman as Edwin Powers, and Jeffrey Sims as President Arturo Almerido, written and narrated by Matthew Broyles, theme music by Paul Shapira. I'm Little Jack Melody. Tune in next time for episode 20, The Sound of Heaven Falling Down.